Hello, everybody. I'm Tommy Dees, and you are? Still Paul Scribina. What do you do? I write about the Nashville Predators of the National Hockey League. For the Tennessean and Tennessean.com? USA Today Network. Yes, and I am Tommy D, Sports Director at the Tennessean, and we are here on the Catfish Corner talking Preds hockey um, as we get toward the middle of December. And guess what? Kyle Turris is back. Yeah, he's seven straight games. He was a healthy scratch, and the $6 million man's back in the lineup. First game back, I think he had a goal and an assist. Um, never, out, never came out and said, you know, he was um, – Less than thrill, but you can tell that he was less than thrill. Obviously, you know, being scratched that many games in a row, he did say he did have an interesting comment though at the night when he came back. Um, I asked him, you know, when you sit out that many games, um, you know, do you feel like it takes you a while to kind of get back in the rhythm? He says, no. He said, I would, I think, I think I would have done the same, you know, played the same way I did tonight if I wouldn't have been scratched for seven straight games. So a little bit of a jab there, I thought. Um, at least that's how I interpreted it. Maybe he didn't mean it that way, but. It's like, what, 14 points or something just left lying there? Yeah, well, something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but no, he's, you know, with Victor Arvidsson being out um, after the cheap hit on him um, and, you know, some other lineup switches going around and guys kind of moving around, um, Kyle's found his place back in the lineup and uh, actually played the wing the other night, which is something that – That's one of, something I want to talk about, what that place is, but go ahead. What what place is? What his place in the lineup oh, what his place. is? Well, that I think. I mean, he's look because by trade he's not. Play, he's not, he's a, not a winger. He's a center, and and they didn't like apparently didn't like him playing wing. They tried it during camp, and uh, Peter Lavalette said that he's not a winger. He's a center. Um, he also has been centering uh, the second line with with Duchesne sometimes moving to the wing. Look, Kyle's a versatile player. Um, he's not putting up world beating numbers, but his his numbers are not awful. Uh, he should have a place in that lineup somewhere. He's going to be most productive, though you'd think, you know, trying to 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 fit in somewhere where he could play top six minutes. Now, whether or not that happens going forward, I don't know. It's hard to predict. I mean, with Victor Arvidsson out, I think you know Peter's going to have to do some more, you know, kind of moving guys around, calling some guys up, trying some guys out in different places, because uh, one guy obviously doesn't replace Victor Arvidsson. Um, so, you know, I, I, ideally, you'd like to see him play center where he's going to be most productive I, I you know the guy's been producing in the limited minutes he's played um and I, I, I was, now, let's talk a minute about that because last year he did not produce well I think there were some injury issues yeah, but had, whatever the issues were he was not producing those kind of the numbers you wanted no not not for what he's not for the money he's making certainly but um and he was scratching only two games last year I, I don't you know I don't know what went on to to lead to him being benched for that long. I don't know if they're trying to trade him. I don't know if there's something internally that happened. Um, but you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna try try to trade a guy or you know give him any kind of added value, you have to showcase him. You have to you know and and showcasing him is not playing him on the fourth line for ten minutes a game. I mean, um, that's, that's not a way to enhance his value to other teams. Right, right. And that contract, as we talked about, you know, a few times is there's a lot of money and a lot of years left on that contract. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see going forward what he's able to do. I don't think his minutes are going to go up a ton. But what's interesting to me is it kind of leads into one of the other things we want to cover today, which is um, the Predators' third line, uh, which despite limited minutes has been very productive, sometimes referred to as the Amber Waves of Grain line, the uh, the (laughs) All-American line with uh, 
Nick's with uh, Nick Benino and Craig Smith and Rocco Grimaldi. If you, take, it, if you take Craig out, you could give it an Italian name, right? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Uh, but yeah, the, look, the FBI, the full blooded Italians. <laughs> there you go. Um, so they that line has been not only the Predators' most consistent and productive line; it's been one of the most consistent and productive lines in the NHL. Uh, if you look at, and I won't get into all the advanced metrics, but. Um, there's a lot of numbers that suggest that that line um, has been one of the best in the league, um, and that's playing a limited number of minutes. That's and, and it kind of you know if you want to kind of break it down and simplify it, um, those three guys have played together more minutes than any other three guys, any other line on the, that the Predators have used this year, and by far it's not even close. I know injuries have had something to do with that. Uh, it's also you know the the one line like like Peter was hesitant um, to. To break up, break up the Jofa line last year, um, he's been for good the, reason, and for good reason, not right, but very productive line, but not so much this year uh, with all those guys. But um, this line, this Benino Smith Grimaldi um, line, has been an automatic for Peter every game. That's one line that's just not changing. So that tells you that they're being productive. They're you know they're getting results they want. Um, Rocco has a career high in points already. It's it's, it's December. 10th, I think, when we're recording this. Yeah, and it was about roughly this time last year when he got called up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he's And Nick Benino is, is, is tied for the team lead in goals. Um, he's been producing at a, at a far greater rate than I think anybody anticipated, um, which is also a problem for the Predators. When you, you, have to re- when you have guys like Johansson and Duchesne and Forsberg and Granlin and, you know, the, and, and Yarncroke and you know, Arvidsson, the list goes on and on. Uh, if those three guys are, are are driving your offense, and that's nothing against those guys are doing a, a, a fantastic job for the roles they're asked, they're being asked to play, uh, to play. But um, it's also kind of indicative of the, of the predators, some of the predators' problems too, which they're paying a lot of guys a lot of money who aren't necessarily producing right this up to their value. Kind of let me let me take this two ways. One, the, the line we're talking about um, is a bargain, really, as as far as what they're getting paid. We're, Rocco got the the call up last year from Milwaukee, and I think was treading lightly. You know, what, what day what day will he get sent back down? Was a question forever, and he kept being productive. Actually, in the playoffs, he was really productive. He was there, led the team in goals in the playoffs, right? But he got told even before that, look, you can you can get a house. You're you're going to be on this team. He got a contract. Uh, Benino got a raise in our extension. No, 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 no okay, he, he my not. mistake. Is he up next year? Um, I'd have to look it up. I know Craig Smith is going to be a. I don't. I think Benino might have a year left. I'd have to look. I'm not positive. I think, but I know Craig Smith's going to be an unrestricted free agent. They're going to have a ton of unrestricted free agents. Uh, right, this but season. this this is not a highly super paid line, which is why they're the third line. But you're getting production as if they were a higher paid group of people, right? For, right. And it's when you not count a, the minutes they're on the ice and the amount that they're being paid. They got to be one of the best bargains in the NHL so far, yes, and and that's um, that's great if you have other lines that are also being productive, right? And, and the other the other thing is 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 this is not hockey is different. It's it's what it is for as a sport. Them doing well doesn't prevent those guys in the first and second line who are making the big big bucks from being productive. Yeah, it's not I, like when you bring the guy off the bench in the baseball team so the other guy doesn't play. Well, the amazing thing too is look. Um, I mean, Craig Smith's been a 20-goal, 20-assist guy last four or five years. Um, is having an awful year of results-wise offensively. Now the, the metrics say that his luck will change and he should be doing better, and he's not he's not playing as awful as his numbers suggest. And, hi, look, sports at the end of the day is always a results-oriented business, but 
sometimes you have to look, especially with hockey, where you know a lot of it does have to do with luck, which always evens out over time, or usually evens out over time. Um, Craig Smith, I think, has two goals and six assists in twenty-eight games. I mean, it's awful, but he—it's he, awful from a results standpoint. Now, his line. Not only they're they're one of the I think they have the highest or second or no the fourth I look up today they had the fourth highest goals for sixty minutes of any line in the in the NHL so fourth in, and they are eighth in goals against per sixty minutes um, so that means not only are they playing producing offensively but they're also playing well defensively um, and and so that that goes to show you kind of how you know how good they've been but when you look at you know, other lines and the production that's coming out of those guys. I mean, look, Forsberg missed six or seven games earlier this year. Arvidsson is going to be out for another few weeks at least. Um, you know, they, they they weren't quite sure what to do with the the winger spot on the top line since they broke up Forsberg and Johansson and Arvidsson. They kind of put Forsberg on the second line. And, and so they've been doing – Granlund has been hurt the last – I think he's missed one or two games now. And his numbers, his results, again, not good. Nothing compared to what they were before he came to Nashville. No, I mean, no. When, when you looked at what he was and what they thought they were getting. A 50, 60-point guy, and he's been not even half of that. I mean, he's, he's you know. Barely, barely registered offensively, really, the whole time he's been here. Certainly not last year. A little better this year, but not not significantly not, better. Not, not on a consistent basis. And, and, you know, and I don't know if that's a, you know, a, a Predators system issue. You know, they've never really been a great offensive team. Um you know, but you look at a guy like Forsberg, who just he's amazing to watch. I was having this conversation with with Robbie Stanley, who works for NHL dot com, and um, Forsberg like he has to be top ten in like ability in the NHL. The results aren't there. When you watch, there just the other night. I mean, he, he just he can take over a game, um, but for whatever reason, he doesn't do that consistently. And I don't know whether that's the the, the system they run, or or and he also has been bitten by the injury bug this year and last year after. You know, never having a problem with that. Um, so you know, look, it's still. I mean, the, the races are all still close. It's still only December, but things start to emerge after you know a month and a half into the season. Um, you know, kind of tell you how things might go. Uh, their penalty kill um, as a whole not great. It's been actually just totally awful at times. Um, their power, power play, play is better than is it was. Better, but it's hard not to be. But still, they're in the bottom third of the league. Um, wildly inconsistent. Sometimes they look sharp and, and have great chances, and other times it looks like last year when they looked like they were kicking a soccer ball around and, and not trying to even didn't know a goal was existed on the ice. You know, <laughs> to take and shoot. Well, at. The, the amazing thing was as they're you know watching, and, and as you know, I am much more of a novice than probably some of our listeners. But sometimes that's that gives you a different perspective that the insider doesn't look at they never took shots on a lot of penalties i mean i remember you know i'm thinking i don't know enough about this but when you got a man advantage and you just pass the puck around the perimeter for a minute and a half that's not what a power play is supposed to look like because i've seen other teams do it that's like the old the old you're not looking for the perfect shot always or they seem to be but whatever offense they call that in basketball you got to make five passes before you take a shot you know the score the final score is like eight to six you know in in an nba game or you know a basketball game i mean i think again the the power play has been a little bit but the penalty kill has been the penalty kills cost them uh several games um i think there was a stretch they gave up eight power play goals and nine attempts against the avalanche or something like that um so that's and the personnel for the most part is the same so it's really one of those strange it was like the, the, the power play last year it's just hard to figure out um 
and, and, and you know, the power play is, as we've talked about, you know, it can be a confidence thing. And I, and I, I'm not so sure that the penalty kill is the same, isn't the same thing. Um, one more thing I did want to bring up too, while, because it's pretty recent, um, and we're talking about a guy like Matthew Shane coming in here. You know, it was basically a Duchesne for P.K. Subban trade is what it ended up you bring being. Up P.K. coming back, I hope. Because PK, yeah, yeah, P.K. coming back. and um, Not back to the Predators to no, play for No, back to them, Nashville. Um, great. The welcome I thought he re- he deserved. Got a standing ovation. They did, did a tribute video. Um, P.K. is also having a dreadful season. Um, in fact, he got burned by Rocco for a goal uh, the other night. Um but I, the reason I bring that up is, is, A, I wanted to say that I thought that I – was, I was unsure how the, what the reaction was going to be to PK because he's a very polarizing person. I've got the sense in, in, in the time I've been here that he's very polarizing and people weren't unhappy to see him go. We talked about all he's done for the community. Um, and I've talked to people who, who claim that he – you know, he – Poyle got rid of him at the right time. Um, it, really would, it would appear so from the way he's playing. I mean, I mean it's early to sort tell. of like knowing when to when to let go your baseball pitcher that's starting to lose a couple miles on his fastball. And and that could just be a coincidence. But um, again, I want I mean, I thought it was a proper. I mean, look, the guy was part of the three best seasons in franchise history, a big part of the three best seasons in franchise history. Um, I'm never one to tell fans how to act or react, but uh, I thought it was appropriate. Uh, I thought this, you know, the, the ovation that, that he got and, and kind of the response he got was, and I had asked him before the game what he expected, um, and he, he wasn't sure because this is a guy who, you know, traveling, following his team all over the country and all over Canada um, is booed in a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he touches the puck, I mean, people just, you know, so you just wonder when he becomes the enemy here, and, and maybe next time when he comes here, they'll boo him too. But. I, I suspect if he was a Blackhawk, he might have gotten a different. Yeah, if it, yeah, if they traded him, to, you know, if, if, if he would have been playing for, but look, he didn't ask to leave. Um, he did nothing but great for this community. Here. And, and he quite frankly, I thought he handled it with class. He, he said ahead of time, he understands this is a business. He knew that he would be a guy who might, Get really, really not so much get his contract unloaded is what it came down to. Oh, he knew it was a total business thing, and, and he never showed his rear end about that or griped. Or I didn't think last year at any point he did show up for the playoffs. Um, probably played some of his better hockey last year in the playoffs. I think um, certainly didn't. You know, wasn't the reason they didn't advance. He didn't dog it. Um, and I don't think he's done anything since he left to say, you know, screw the Predators or, you know, how dare they do this to me, don't they know? He knows he was a popular guy. He knows he was a polarizing guy. But when he was here. He also knows he's a guy who made $9 million a year, and he yeah. said that. He's like, look, I make, and they pay me a lot of money, and they want to do some other things. And I knew as soon as they said they were going in a different direction, you know, after last season and what happened, that I was probably a prime candidate for to, to be moved. Because he looked at all the contracts there were that could be unloaded, and his kind of stood out as a guy who still had some value. He's got not only did obviously you would you would if you're New Jersey hope he's playing better this year. He's also got some celebrity value. Quite oh, frankly. he has a ton he, of that. I he's going to move some merch. Um, he's going to going to get spotlight on your team. He's going to draw people in. Probably there are people in Nashville who really the first persons first player's name they knew especially with so many people moving to the city was pk right. i mean when, when i moved here i had heard of pk what well, i could have told you that's a hockey player and he plays from nashville and i wasn't you know a guy who watched a lot of nhl i think i'd heard i'd heard of pecorino uh, mainly through the stanley cup run or stanley cup mm-hmm. runner-up run other than that 
whether he was best player team or not, he was the highest profile guy. And I mean, that, that follows you everywhere you go. Yeah, and I, and I, you know, like I, I ask, because there's always the, the, to talk about, oh, he's bad in the room. And I don't expect guys to say, yeah, he was a real cancer. But, you know, I, I having been around the team in that room and talked to guys who, who were, were close with him, um, you know, they, Matthias Eckholm said something to the effect of, yeah, we knew he took up a lot of space in the room and, and we were okay with that. You know, he, he, he only helped us. We never felt like he, yeah, he had a lot of other things going on, but we never felt like when he came to the arena that he wasn't focused on, trying to be the best player he could be. And, you know, the results over the, especially the first two years he was here speak for themselves. So, you know, he certainly didn't do it alone, but I don't think they do it without him. Uh, right. And, and anybody who's been around pro sports in a locker room setting knows that there are guys who do take up a lot of space and some of them aren't liked and some of them are their, their teammates are indifferent to, and some of them are still one of the guys, right. but there are, there are many t- players on every pro team or there are some players on every pro team who are kind of a franchise unto themselves and they show up for work every day and they do their job every day but look this is not college these guys ain't going out to watch a movie together every night um they spend time on the road obviously but they're they're pros they come to work and they go home just like you and me yeah and it's look i mean he's he, i think he got a bad rap by some people but i just i wanted to mention it because i thought it was worth but wow. he did get a standing ovation. He did, and and he's having an awful season. So Predators fans could be happy. They got to see PK, and, they're, <laughs> right. and and the Devils are horrible. They've already fired one of their, you know, they've already fired a head coach, and they're looking to trade one of their best players. And um, it could be a disaster of a contract for them. But uh, you know, kudos to, to to David Poyle for for you know making a move he thought was necessary and a bold move. You know, I, I thought. Um, and and you know we'll see what happens with Matthew Shane, who started off the year super super hot and kind of cooled off, which you kind of figured, you know, the law of averages would catch up. But, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed, uh, for the most part, cover, you know, I don't, I don't have any, you know, I don't have anything personal against any of these guys, but I, you know, P, I look, I, PK was one of the reasons I look forward to coming here to cover the Predators. Um, and, you know, it was, it was, it was nice to see the fans kind of appreciate all he's done for the franchise. Right. And there's one more topic we definitely need to talk about is what's, it's not, it is a little bit of a Predators topic. It's much more of an NHL and even much more than that, a hockey topic, um, which is, is what's gone on with some coaches being let go, um, some some alleged abuse in the past, and, and Peter Lavalette's name did come up. So why don't, why don't you talk tell us about that, and then let's discuss that for a moment. Uh, well, a couple of days ago uh, after practice, Peter came out and uh, – which he never, very rarely does this, you know, before any questions were, were taken, he kind of addressed two separate stories that were, that had come out in, in recent days before that. Um, one about him, uh, a performer player is Daniel Carcillo, who I also happened to cover when he was with the Blackhawks and, um, Daniel Carcillo, I don't know if you know, he was a, he was a, um, kind of an enforcer, self-professed jerk, uh, homophobe, racist. He, he, he's kind of come clean about all these things that he was while he played. And he's, he's now a very, a very big advocate for mental health and hockey. And he, a lot of players are confiding in him now since, since all these things have started with these coaches um, about tales of their own experiences of being abused, and whether it's at the NHL level or, or below, you know, in the OHL or some, some junior leagues. Um, he's bringing a lot of stuff to light. Um, and he brought up Peter Lavalette's name. Is is he, he didn't accuse Peter Lavalette of this, but he insinuated kind of that Peter was a guy who was a, he called him a rah rah guy who 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 I guess to, 
to paraphrase, encourage players to fight, even though Peter never fought in his career. And, and Carcillo basically said, you know, I don't have a lot of respect for the guy. I didn't really get along with him. Um, but his accusation or his, his insinuation was that Peter encouraged his players to fight. You know, he would send these guys others out there. or uh, other teams. Uh, I think other teams, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, yeah, I've, I've seen football coaches who I don't know if they encourage fights in practice, but they they created situations where they might happen. Well, so as far as that went, you know, Peter, of course, you know, he he didn't he denied that that he would ever encourage a player to go out there and, and you know fight. Um, and I talked to Austin Watson, who's been in twenty nine or thirty fights. He's by far the guy in the Predators that you know leads them in, in fights over the last few years. He's been in twenty nine or thirty fights with Laviolette as his coach, and Austin has said he never once, by any of my coaches here, have I ever felt like pressured to go out there and do that. Like these, you know, players when you talk to them are going to they, they police the game a lot these days, and there's that's why there's not a lot of fighting anymore. It's, it's because you know the guys kind of kind of police themselves. Um, but Austin, I, I was interested to get Austin's perspective because he's a guy who, who you know, he's not afraid to, to get into a fight. No, he'll, he'll drop the gloves. And, and and a lot of times it's sticking up for a teammate or whatever. And there have been times when I've quit, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not an advocate for fighting in hockey at all, but there have been times, uh, for instance, recently when Victor Arvidsson took two cheap shots um, and there was no response from, from the Predators. And I, I talked to some players about why that was. Um, you know, and and guys are you know, I I, I thought I ex- fully expected that that there would be some retaliation, some retaliation against Bortuzzo by somebody on the Predators, if not him, at somebody else. Sometimes in the like, I hate to keep going to the baseball or whatever sport reference, but the guy who flips the bat may not be the guy who gets thrown at right, it to the next right. guy up. Right, but Bortuzzo played the rest of that game, and nobody went after him. And, and I, I was a little bit surprised by that. And, and talk, I talked to Austin after the game. And I talked to a couple other players, and they said, "Look, you know, we have to be smart. Um, you know, yeah, if we see an opportunity where we can finish off a check hard, or we're, but we're not just going to recklessly, you know, do that just because somebody did that to us." And I, you know, and if that's where the, I mean, that's where I would expect fighting to occur. Right, is, is more on in terms of, hey, man, you took out one of our best players for no reason with a clearly a cheap shot. Um, but now they're more inclined to kind of let the league take care of those things. Um, so anyway, make a long story short, you know, Peter said he he'd never done that. He never would do that. He's been coaching for almost twenty years or however many years. He's been a long time. Um, never been his, his MO. Um, and the other, the other thing that came out was just kind of silly. I think it's, it's, you know, at least from my perspective, I I don't know, about eight or nine years ago, there's a player, um, with the Flyers who, uh, Peter was on the, when he was coaching them, he was on the, the player was on the bench and Peter was standing behind him and kind of yelling and during a timeout. And, um, the, the interesting thing about this, and this is where social media comes in, so there's a gif that, that is circulated on social media many times over. Uh, in fact, Peter says he laughs at it because it's, it's so uh, misrepresents. If you watch the full video as opposed to the gif, if you watch the gif, it looks like Peter punches this guy in the back of the helmet over and over and over again. If you watch the video, Peter claims that he's trying to, he, he's trying to punch his fist and missed his fist. His and, own fist. His own fist and nicked this player, the back of this player's helmet with his knuckle. Um, which looks to me on the tape like, you know, and, and the player himself, um, I can't recall, Villy something, I can't recall his name, his last name right now, but he said, um, 
you know, he thought nothing of it at the time. Peter, he said Peter apologized to him after that and said, I'm sorry, I didn't, I wasn't trying to to do that. Um, Why, you know, he he was surprised that it became a big deal. Uh, But somebody had written a a story about this recently about um, abuse and this, this video and this gif came up or gif or whatever you prefer. But um, Peter kind of was, was a little bit surprised that, that this was even a the topic of conversation because, you know, look, this is where this thing's going. I mean, you know, coaches in the NHL and, and at all levels below are are not sleeping well at night because th- there are probably things they don't even remember doing <laughs> 10 years ago that people are going to come out with. Uh, and it's going to continue. And I think it's, you know, it could be a slippery slope. I think it's a good thing overall. I think it's, it's part of evolution, but I think it's, um, you know, we're having these conversations with, with our columnist Gentry, you know, Estes, and kind of how do you it's how do you define Gary Bettman came out with kind of these four talking points about how they're going to allow players to anonymously, you know, report just abuse to coaches and, and or to to the league from coaches, and I, I, you know, it's a step. Um, it's probably going to be a long process, but I think this is just the beginning of a lot of stories. It's going to become very murky. In terms of, you know, I mean, some things are clear cut, right? You, you shouldn't. When Bobby Knight was hitting players or choking players or, or throwing things at whatever he's yeah. doing, forty years ago, it wasn't acceptable and it wasn't right, and it's still not today. Um, there are some things that are clear cut. There are other things that are just you, you don't use racial slurs, you right. don't abuse people physically, mentally, and then then we get into what is abuse, right? Right, and that there are lines that all of us know are abuse. There are gray areas that some of us would disagree on, and there are conduct where I think you know I think there's plenty of conduct where a, where a coach may uh, dress down a player that's not abusive, but is still expressing that the player needs to do something better or differently. Right, and and I think then that goes across all sports in life and with with children. I mean, I, you know, I mean, just the way that the way that we, we as a society are kind of um, viewing discipline through a different lens now. I always kind of joke that you better call your kid's lawyer before you give him a spanking. And it's almost not even a joke. Uh, you know, we grew up in a time when it was different. Did it make it right? I don't know. I, I you know, was it effective? I, th- certain parts were, certain parts weren't. I, you know, I, I've, everybody has their own experiences, right? And, and everybody's raised in their own environment. A lot of these coaches now that are, they came up like that and they don't, I don't know that they necessarily, I'm not making excuses for any of them, but like, you have to think about how you were raised. Like you're a product of your environment. So, you know, I think what Daniel Carcillo is trying to do is trying to break a cycle. He's, he's also putting himself out there. Um, you know, well, he's been very open to talking about his experiences and things he's done wrong. And, but, you know, I just, I don't think this is going to end anytime soon. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And, and this is a topic we'll probably be touching on again, but for now that does it for this edition of catfish corner. We hope you'll subscribe to Tennessean.com if you haven't already. And remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever it is you find your podcast. You can drop us a review and a rating while you're at it. For Paul Scarbina, I'm Tommy Dees, and we'll be back again. Hey.